0: God Almighty, how we need you desperately. Lord, if you don't come, we might as well leave. God, we need you. There are people in here that need you, maybe, and they don't even realize they need you. There may be some in here that have many questions, many problems. Any conflicting thoughts and fail to realize that all of these things can be solved from you. Lord, if you do not come in the power of the Holy Spirit, people will still be bound, people will still be defeated, and people will still leave here as prisoners. God, we need you. We desperately need you. We need something that will stir us more than just for this afternoon. We need something deeper to be done in our hearts that won't be quickly evaporated by fellowship and and laughs where we forget what you said to us. Lord, we need you. Something that will last not just for next week, but something that will literally change the course of our lives. God, we need you. Destroy all lack of faith, even now. Destroy all doubt in your presence. Lord, what we need, charisma cannot solve. A gift cannot solve. A warm-hearted person cannot solve. We need your power. In this place. People bound to sexual sin. People bound to depression. People bound to unforgiveness. God Almighty. Come in your power. Deliver your people. Do not leave us in this state. You've promised victory. We come believing for it. You've promised deliverance. We've come with our chains around our ankles and our wrists. And we look up to you in heaven and say, set me free once and for all. Come and visit your people in this place. May this be an unusual Sunday morning service. May this be a heavenly invasion of your grace and mercy that would liberate every person. Lord, if you don't come, we will not change. Lord, we pray for those that are watching on the live stream. Touch them in Jesus' name. Lord, your presence and your word has no limits. It is not bound to the four walls of this building. Go, Lord, in your power and set people free in their living rooms, in their cars. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every book of the Bible, every book of the Bible is absolutely necessary for our attention and our study. But with that, there is nothing wrong to say that each book has something different to offer. And that is certainly true for the book of Acts. For the book of Acts. If you've read it, you already know how unique this record is. Because we get a glimpse of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And not only do we see the formation of this organism called the church, we see the growth of this early movement sweeping through the whole earth in power. And that's what we get from the book of Acts. We get records of miracles, of revivals, of riots, of conversions, of martyrdom. And though these spectacular things are almost giving us difficulty to put this book down in one sitting, we realize that there are also practical things that this record of the early church gives us. We get principles of how the early church operated and how these things strengthened the body of believers, and we also see warnings of potential failures to the church. And for this morning's message... I would like for us to see one of these ingredients. It was a frequent practice of the early church in the book of Acts that is sprinkled throughout this book. And it was valuable to them and we better believe this morning that it will be extremely valuable to us. In my recent study of the book of Acts just this week in my own devotional reading, I I seen something that just highlighted almost in every other chapter. And sometimes we can get so lost in the, the power and the miracles and the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that we can, we can miss something so easy and so practical, but it's just as supernatural as those miracles. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts. We're going to go through different verses and you will catch on to it, I'm sure. Acts 11, 23 to 24. Acts 11, 23 to 24. When he came and saw the grace of God, being Barnabas, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Go to Acts 14, 22 now. It says here that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. One chapter later in Acts 15, 32. Acts 15, 32. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Acts 16, 40. One chapter later. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them. They encouraged them and departed. Here's the thought that came to mind. Although the early church witnessed mighty miracles, although they had lived, listen, imagine this thought. Imagine living in the same day as the apostles. Imagine being on the same planet as the same men who walked and talked with the resurrected Christ. The early church had that. Although they were preached to by men who recorded the scriptures divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Although these wonderful privileges were given to the early church, I see the frequent need and the practice of mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement in the midst of, all of those wonderful things, they still needed to be encouraged in their faith. And it seems that the majority of the emphasis of encouragement comes down to this one target for them to continue strong in their faith. How can it be? you got the apostles as your neighbors. You've witnessed things that I'm sure none of us in here can testify we've seen with our own eyes. Maybe you have. I would love to meet with you. Despite all these things, we see a frequent need, not just once in a while, but we just read a few, and there's there's more out there in the book of Acts, of the need for you to speak into my life so that I can remain strong in my faith. How much more we? How much more you? How much more me? And this is a a beautiful thing for us, because the, the reason for encouragement Rather, the subject of the encouragement is clear, but the, the reasons for the need for it or the reasons for discouragement are not so obvious. So they were encouraged, but encouraged by what? What were they frequently encouraged by? What, what was discouraging them for the need of that? And some can say different things. I'm sure one safe thing to say is that they were surely facing persecution at a level that we haven't known yet, yet. But we know something about discouragement, don't we? That it's not limited to persecution for us to feel it. There are many foes. There are many enemies to our faith. There are many packages of discouragement. Not just threats towards our lives for being Christians. Discouragement can be defined as a deflating. A deflating of confidence or enthusiasm deflated confidence or enthusiasm it can be caused by many things not just persecution there are many things that can hinder somebody's intensity for their love for the lord and to serve him it could be your own thoughts it could be your own actions it could be the the actions and the words of others it could be circumstances it can be the very ammunition that satan uses against the people of god And the best scenario of discouragement is that it is a passing emotion. You feel it one moment or half half of your day, and then it it passes. You get a nice phone call, you go out with some friends, and, and it's lifted off of you. That's the best case for discouragement. Here's the worst case for discouragement, that it literally affects the way you love God and serve Him. And the purpose of this message is to exemplify what we just read briefly in the book of Acts. One simple thing this morning. If you came to church this morning, this is what you will receive by the grace of God encouragement not to give up. What can cause a person to lose their zeal for God and to serve Him? I'm not talking about abandoning your faith. I'm not talking about people become apostates because of discouragement. I'm just talking about a draining, a draining, a a weightiness, a burden that limits somebody in knowing the fullness of the will of God. Listen, and the way we're going to do this is simply this, by identifying different darts of discouragement and by God's truth draining them of their power in our lives, at least to be showered by the scriptures so that our minds can be cleared. Our minds can be cleared in our perspective of the things that we're facing that are causing this heaviness and this dark cloud from hindering us. What can cause a person to be discouraged? Ready for this? You'd be amazed. and Maybe you can relate. Number one, unmet expectations. Unfulfilled expectations, specifically from God. If there is any blow that has knocked the wind out of so many people's faith, You can believe that it is when somebody had a desire from God and that desire has been denied. That yearning, that longing seems to have been closed off and no longer made available. And so many questions come to mind concerning the love of God and even the existence of God. When somebody had an expectation from God and it was not met the way they thought it would be met. There are so many people who have had a desire, and a desire was not a sinful thing. You know, there is a category of desires that are not under the title of sinful. There are holy desires, righteous desires, pure desires that we all have, I hope. And those desires for some went beyond just a thought or a meditation. It became the subject of your prayers And it's been watered by tears and meditation almost to the point in which you can even feel and imagine what it will be like when that request will one day become a reality as you seek God to answer it. There's an expectation, almost a demand in prayer, not even in arrogance, but in brokenness almost. And it can be anything. It can be anything. Fasting and praying for another person. Fasting and praying for yourself, for healing in your body, a job opportunity, a career idea, whatever, a relationship, even a romantic relationship with a specific person, even a ministry, a desire to serve God in a particular way. These are desires, and they're not necessarily wrong desires, and oftentimes with these desires, we sense a delay. We sense a delay, but delay, there's still hope, right? It hasn't come yet. But it's clear that it's still a possibility. And even if there's a sliver of hope, we will hold on, trusting that God will come through with what our hearts long for. But something happens when that delay becomes an outright denial and it's completely closed off to us and we realize in that moment it's no longer a possibility. And what's the result of that? Disappointment. Disappointment And discouragement. And this is where it can become dangerous. Were there men in the Bible that had desires? Yes. And as we're in the book of Acts, you can turn to chapter 16 and see how there was a desire by a missionary team. This is in Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region. Phrygia and Galatia. So they're, they're going towards a specific area to preach the gospel. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Notice a few important points here. These were men on a mission to serve God. These are not men that are just casually living their Christian life and expecting God to do whatever they want without any complete devotion. Don't be disappointed and don't be discouraged if you're not consecrated unto God. That's just fair. That's just fair. Here are men on a mission to serve the Lord. Their hearts are set on living for Him, and you don't need to be a full time ministry to be like that. But in their case, they were. And what were they doing? They were going to preach, they were going to fulfill the Great Commission. They wanted to spread this good news of who Jesus Christ was. And on two occasions, they realized that as they've come upon where they've desired to go, the doors were closed. And the author is telling us it's because of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the Holy Spirit. And I believe how they come to know that was not necessarily from direct revelation. I don't believe the Holy Spirit came and said, don't come here. They went to another place, don't come here. I I don't believe that and some would argue for that. I'll tell you why. Look down in verse 8, and verse 9 rather. When they went to Troas, when they went apart from this place, we see something. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging them, and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So there we see an intervention from God in a clear way, a vision of obvious direction given by God. And we don't see that in the prior instances. So how do we explain how the Holy Spirit closed those doors? I believe it was circumstantial. You know, God can speak through circumstances. But what the principle is here is that God did not allow them to go through, and here's a reason, he didn't give one. He didn't give one. He didn't explain in detail why they couldn't go into these areas. We see later on that they were called to go to Macedonia, yes. But in the moment, they didn't get a transcript from heaven saying, this is why what you've been longing to do is not given to you. This is what you've been praying for, sure. This is what you've been probably even fasting for but I've not given to you. And here's the list wise. Here are different bullet points. We don't see such thing. It's just, circumstantially they realize, this is God. We can't get through We're trying it on all levels, and it's just not happening. And this is something that we must consider as well. When he denies a desire, we don't have to expect an explanation for it. But the hopeful thing is this. When he denies a desire, it's because he's redirecting us into his desire, which is better than our desire. Look what happens in verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter. We read, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we see it, we go, oh, now we realize it. God was calling him to go to Macedonia. That's why he rejected it. But there's even more than that. Did you notice the little word there? We'll read it one more time. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, that's the word, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know why that word is so important? For the first time in the book of Acts, the pronoun has changed. Before this, it was they, them. It was not a personal thing. But for the first time in the narrative of this book, you see an introduction to the author including himself in the story and says, we are going to preach. So what's happening there? Luke, who wrote this book, Luke, according to the Bible, who was a long-term companion of Paul, Luke is telling us through this little shift in the word that for the first time I've joined them on their missionary journey and I am an eyewitness to the accounts that are to follow what you are about to read. And so here's here's what I believe would happen. Not only was it Luke who joined their ministry for the first time and we see a different tone to the book of Acts, I believe this is where Paul first met Luke, in Troas. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Perhaps there, that that is when Paul and the team had a chance to actually meet Luke the physician. And here's the point. If it had not been for God saying no to the desires before, it's quite possible that they would not have met Luke at the time that God wanted them to meet Luke. And we know the value that Luke was to this team. We know the value that Luke brought to Paul on a personal level. And I think this is a wonderful truth for every believer. Do not limit God's blessing in your life to come in a package of a yes. We often think God blesses me every time I ask for something and he's going to give it to me the way I ask him for it. No, no, no. Believe this, that God's blessings often come with a no. And oftentimes, God's greater blessing must come through a no before it becomes an awesome experience of His goodness towards us. We want to go to Phrygia. We want to go to Galatia. We want to go to Bithynia. No, no, no. What's going on? I want to serve God. I'm looking at my heart and I realize that I'm set. People always ask this question, by the way. How do I know if I'm in the will of God? You can guarantee you this wonderful truth. If you want to know how you and your life can be set for God to ordain your days until your dying breath, all you need to do is this. All you need to do is this. Is make sure that your heart is set for the glory of God in all your affairs. If your heart from every aspect of life, your finances, your marriage, or marriage to be, your relationships, your ministry, if all of that can be clearly checked for the glory of God, you have guaranteed yourself. His blessing and His leading. But sometimes that includes a no. And if you live this Christian life long enough, you'll be able to testify before people of how God has blessed you when He said no in your life. God has blessed me. Why? He's answered all your prayers? No, he's, He's actually rejected quite a few of them. Blessed you? Oh yeah, He's blessed me. Because if it had not been for the no... I wouldn't have known Luke. He wouldn't have been part of our missionary journey to Macedonia. And walking in the will of God, like these men were, is the guarantee for what you and I long for, and that is to have him watch over our ways. Proverbs 2.8 says that he watches over the ways of his saints saints. and That's the peace that you and I can have. I may not be able to imitate these men in their missionary endeavors. I may not be able to imitate them in their miraculous abilities by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if there's one thing that I can have that they had, it is this. If my heart is set apart for God and serving Him, I had the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that? The Holy Spirit refused? No, no, no. The Spirit of Jesus refused? No, no, no. I want that in my life. I don't trust myself. I don't trust this heart. It's deceitfully wicked. It's beyond sick, Jeremiah tells us. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. It doesn't look like him saying yes to all my things. A loving parent doesn't say yes to all his children's desires. We know what's best for them as parents. I'm speaking like I'm a parent. We know what's best for them. And sometimes the best thing for you is a no because there's something greater. Don't let denial discourage you from loving and serving God. Realize that he loves you enough to protect you from anything less than his perfect will. And if you're ever confused of what his will might be in your life with his yeses and his nos, believe this, every yes and every no, God has at least this in mind. Never forget it. That through my yeses and through my nos, I know which one to give you and when. But my goal is this it's going to make you look more like Jesus. No explanation why the delay. And then all this delay only for there to be a denial in the end. Why? Well, here's one thing according to the word of God that you can know. Because something in that is going to make you look more like Jesus. And perhaps the yes to that will not have the full potential power to make you look like his son, so I'm not going to give it to you. And that's just one on the list of all the reasons why God can say no for something when we are desperately asking Him for it. But so many believers have lost their win because of an unmet expectation. I had something in mind and it didn't go as planned. And I prayed for it and I didn't eat food for it. So why? Just give it some time and you'll see why. And maybe God will give you an explanation. Maybe he won't. But know this. He loves you enough to guide you with his yeses and his noes. Discouragement can come from this. But not limited to this. Discouragement in somebody living steadfastly for the Lord. I'm talking about an intense zeal to serve God. Can come also from the haunting effects of failure. The haunting effects of failure. Perhaps you or someone you know can testify of the reoccurring thoughts and reminders of your past before you came to Christ that seem to nag your soul and hinder you from actually thrusting and growing in your relationship with God. Maybe it's not you doubting your salvation. Maybe your past doesn't make you doubt your salvation. Maybe your past does make you doubt that God can actually use you though. Because of your record. And there are cases in the body of Christ that can't seem to find the liberation and the joy and even the ability to believe God to be used mightily by Him because all you have is the whispers of your past haunting you and bringing you to a place where you say, Let me just sit on the shelf of my salvation. And not think that God wants to just do more than that, and that's invest in me in such a way that I can invest in other people's souls. You'd be amazed to see how many people, long in the faith, seniors in the faith, who are still haunted by their past. And they believe God loves them to save them, but they don't believe God loves them enough to do something with them. How can God use me? Are you serious? Only God and I know the things that I've done in the past. And I know full well that if anybody, any human ear, were to hear what I've done, there is no way that they would be able to take what I can give concerning my service without it being tainted with what I've done. There's no way. These are the thoughts feeling disqualified, feeling unworthy. Feeling like this, let me just live my life, make a good income, go through my days, and let me just, when I die, tiptoe my way into heaven and just get a seat. God knew that this would be a threat to people's faith. God saw this in advance. God, in His Word, tells us that He knew that his people would potentially be plagued by their past even after coming into covenant with Christ. So, what did he do to provide a remedy? Because he did. Promises? Of course. Scriptural truths? Absolutely. Understanding the character and the nature of God? Sure. But you know what he did? 1 Timothy 1. First 1 Timothy 1:16. 1, What does it tell us here? Paul is writing this. And he says in verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the foremost what? Well, he just said he was the foremost of sinners. As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Why? As an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, I have been saved. I have been granted the grace of God for this reason. Can you imagine what God revealed to him? Hey, Paul, I saved you. You want to know why I saved you? So that I would take your filthy life, polish it, and put you on a podium, and there would be a golden plate that would say, grace of God, and you would be the object of my mercy for all generations. And people would look at your life, and say to themselves as they examine their past and the dark things that they've done, whether publicly known or privately experienced, and they would say, if God can save this man, surely he can save me. That's why I saved you, Paul. That's why I got a hold of you on the road to Damascus, Paul. Yes, I loved you for you, but I love my people enough. Enough instead of destroying you as a terrorist to the church, instead of annihilating you from the face of the earth for shedding blood on innocent people, I, because I love my people, yes, I love you, Paul. Paul says he loved me and died for me. He knew that. But because I love my people, that in 2019 without their understanding of how God loves, you would be, you would be a trophy of my grace, Paul. For this reason, I've been saved. As the foremost, you can't beat Paul in your sin concerning his past. You can't outweigh Paul. Anybody here a terrorist of the church? Anybody want to lift up their hand? Shed blood? Killed Christians recently? For this reason, I have received mercy. And one might say, well, I know he's willing to save, but he's not willing to use And we see in verse 16, he says, save. But look at verse 12. Paul says, I thank him. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Appointing me to his service. Oh, the the love of God. The grace of God. So God didn't save Paul and just say, I love you, Paul. But I know what you've done. And there is no way that you, a murderer, are going to be a preacher. That's just not going to happen, Paul. Might be your desire, might be your thoughts, but not going to happen. We'll see you in heaven. The grace of God goes beyond that in he saves the man and makes him the chief of apostles. How scandalous is the grace of God? I'm sure the early church would have been happy to say, wow, uh, Paul, the, the number one, fire-breathing, persecutor of the church, is saved. Isn't that wonderful? I saw him in church the other day. Did you see him? Yeah, I did see him. He was singing and all that. That's a wonderful thing. That's not what it says. What happened here in Galatians? Look at what it says. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. He's preaching! God called them to preach the very thing he tried to destroy. When you are faced with your failure, or rather when your failure tries to face you, make that a fuel for you to radiate the revelation of the grace of God through your life. The filthier you were, the more wicked you were, the more the grace of God will shine through your life. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Brother, there is no reason why, if you have gone very far in sin, you should not go equally far in usefulness. If you can go so far and deep in your filth and your depravity, how much more can God launch you into usefulness? This is the grace of God. Let your failure fuel your testimony. Fuel your understanding of His love and mercy and let it be a source of light to those who need it desperately. But you know, discouragement that comes from failure is not just a past thing. Failure has a future element to it. See, what do you mean? I mean this. That my discouragement to serve God and to be wholeheartedly devoted to Him may not be because of what I've done in the past, but it may be because of my fear of failing in the future. There are people that can't feel like they can serve God or live for God because they know their track record, they know their habitual sin, they know what they've done, they know what they're prone to, and to take upon the name of Christ and run with it is probably going to do more damage than good because I know myself. And there is a failure waiting to happen. So why even give into it the first place? You know what's a wonderful thing about that? A person to recognize that is not only a good thing, it is a necessary thing. For you and I to recognize how weak we are, how dependent we are, how broken we are, is the very thing we need to actually be faithful. Instead of that crippling you from serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and dedicating it once and for all, instead of it crippling you, let it be the reason why you throw yourself at his feet every single day, declaring your need for him. Let it be the reason why you come to him on a day-to-day basis say, Lord, if you do not come, if you don't fill me, if you don't change me, if you don't sanctify me, I will fail. You have to come. In fact, the Bible warns that if you think you stand, be weary, lest you fall. Failure of what? I might potentially do to the name of Christ. Let me tell you this. God had your potential failure in mind when he called you to his service. And when he called you to follow him. And so he doesn't expect us to fail. He doesn't say, I can't wait for you to fail. But he knows that it's possible to fail. And therefore he provides something with our recognition of the possibility to fail. He knows. He supplied the need because he's aware of the possibility of it. We're familiar with that verse in Jude 24, are we not? What does he say in Jude 24? Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, either that is true or sin is more powerful than God's promise. We have to make a decision tonight, this morning. We got to make a decision. Either he is able to keep me from stumbling or my sin can overpower his ability to do so. That's a promise. You know what that means to me? I read that last night and I thought, that's amazing. <laughs> because it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So it's not just stumbling for a season. I know from this verse that when I meet Jesus Christ face to face, I don't have to go in there stumbling. I don't have to go into his presence, though I'm saved, and yes, it's based on his, I don't have to go in there ashamed, I don't have to go in there embarrassed, as First John 2 tells us, that it's possible to live in such a way that when he returns, we are ashamed of his appearing. I don't have to though, I don't have to appear before him with the bruises of sin. I know that he's able to keep me from stumbling so that I can stand tall before him with great joy that he's kept me blameless all my life. That's a wonderful promise. Let us not interpret this with our own experience or what we seem to see as our consistent failure. This word is true, but it's a promise based on a condition. And this is why the promise is not experienced by many. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, praise God, why am I stumbling? Because three verses later it tells us the condition. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That comes before now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I must keep myself in the love of God. I must keep myself in daily communion and love relationship with Jesus Christ. I must seek his face and I must seek his heart. And as a result of that, he will make my feet steadfast. And he will plant me in high places. And he will keep me from the dangers below. So you know why people stumble? I guarantee you this according to the word of God. It's because people have failed to keep themselves in his love. And if anything in your life would threaten you from staying and abiding in him, realize that the consequence of that is stumbling. It's going to come one way or another. But as as consistent as you are with keeping yourself in the love of God, you will be just as consistent in your freedom from stumbling. Failure from my past. Failure. Failure. Potentially of my future. Here's another failure. Failure from other people. What discourages people from living wholeheartedly for Christ? When other people who claim to be Christians failed me. Disappointed me. Preached one thing, lived another. Post one thing, live another. Claim to be this when the reality are that. And I can tell you that there are so many people that even have come to a place where they can't read this book because they've heard from people who've preached it and they lived something else. It's a powerful thing. Here's a simple instruction for that. Stop looking at people. They will fail you. They will fail you. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes on him. And when people fail, realize that they have removed themselves from the love of God, and they're stumbling. They're stumbling. But don't let their stumbling become your stumbling. Don't let their inconsistency become your inconsistency. You keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look at John like Peter didn't say, well, what about him? Stay focused. Stay focused. If you want longevity in this life, stay focused on Christ. People, even Christians, hear me very carefully, will come and go. I can testify to that for the past eight years. Christians have come and gone. And some have gone into the world. But I'm not going to base my love for him, whether the, the majority do or not. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lastly, another reason for discouragement for people living wholeheartedly for the Lord either loving him personally or serving him. Not just because of unmet expectations. Not just because of failure and everything that it can come through. But people are discouraged because they are not surrounding themselves with like-minded people. Book of Acts. We read a few verses. One simple observation. Where did all the encouragement come from? Where did all the encouragement to live wholeheartedly for Christ come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from men who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we can go back to the first verse that we read, and we're going to close with it. In Acts eleven twenty three 23 to 24, when he being Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now look at the description of the man. For he was a good man. For he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Can you describe the same way that you have friends? Can you describe your friends in the same manner? Your friends that you hang out with all the time. I'm not asking if they're cool. I'm not asking if they're funny. I'm not asking if they have money. I'm not asking anything of the sort. I'm asking if you can describe at least one friend. He is full of the Holy Spirit. She is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. She, he is a good person. Can you? I cannot, I'll I'll make you tired with all the stories I've heard from people that have declared the disadvantages of not having a community of people like Barnabas' in their lives. Faithful believers that are living for the Lord are wholeheartedly set apart for him. Now that is not an excuse not to live for the Lord, but it is, it is a major hindrance in many people's lives. They don't see it around them. They don't have what they need from another person because we're never called to walk this walk alone. But you know what's a scarier thing? You have people who know such people and they deliberately not choose to be in relationship with them and join themselves to those who could care less about their walk with Christ. And you as a person that, y- you do, you have a, in fact, you have a wrestling. You want to live for the Lord, but you can't seem to figure out why it's not happening as frequently and as consistently as you want to. And let me ask you this. Do you have people even in your life that can speak into your faith? That can speak into your faith. Again, not make you giggle. That are full of the Holy Spirit. They're good and they're filled with faith. Find such people, pray for such people, and then cling to such people. Giggling is not wrong. I have to always give disclaimers. Being holy doesn't mean you don't have fun. I I can tell you this, the holy you are, the more fun you'll have. And listen, the more spiritual you are, the more natural you'll be. It is not spiritual to walk around like a floating individual with a halo on your head. That's not spiritual. You'll be, the more spiritual you are, the more natural you're going to be. You'll talk naturally. You'll act naturally. You'll do natural things. But when people see you do normal things, you go, "Mm, there's something different about that guy. They needed community. Discouragement comes, but encouragement is not going to just drop from heaven. Sure, the Lord can console my soul. But he's given us the body and so every case of encouragement was seen in this another person opening their mouth and speaking into my life but if I don't have those people in my life I can't expect encouragement it's very simple it's not deep theological but oh how people do not practice it no matter how discouraged you are or what you're discouraged by here's my exhortation don't Walk away from the community of faith. Don't do it. You are biting into the bait of Satan. If your discouragement leads you to isolation, you're only leading yourself to greater discouragement and disappointment. I guarantee you that. Whatever your discouragement is, whatever strength you have left, even in the midst of that discouragement, run to the people of God. Call a friend. Pray with somebody. Express your pain, express your regret, express and confess your sin, express even how sometimes you're feeling something and you don't know why. Bro, I don't know why I'm not feeling that I'm passionate for God anymore. Talk to somebody about it and let them speak into your life. Let them remind you of truth. Even if you are a discouraged person, I can tell you this, something happens when another discouraged person comes. Even if you're in that state of discouragement yourself, God will give you the grace to pour into somebody else. I can guarantee you that. All you need to do is have people that have set their lives for the glory of God and the Lord will provide the energy through that vessel to bless you. And you'll never know. you never know that even one day, the person who encouraged you, God might use you to encourage them one day. But do not walk away from the community of faith. The fountain of encouragement comes from believers. And so if the enemy whispers in your mind, even if your discouragement has come from a, a recent failure in your walk with Christ, Run. Run to the people of God. And This is the message today. Listen. If you're discouraged by even a reason that was not mentioned, now is the time to talk to the Lord. This message has a response to it. This message has a response to it. And it's just you in your chair right now, you in your pew right now. Let God deal with that discouragement if there's even a hint of it. Because if that thing stays there long enough and it is not brought before the Lord, it will turn into something very ugly. It will turn into bitterness. It will turn into unforgiveness. And listen, people even have that towards God. Don't let it settle. Deal with it now before the presence of God. Ask him to help you. To trust in his goodness, unmet expectations, failure on every front, or even the poor decision of not to have people in your life. Time to ask God for some new friends. Time to ask God for a faithful community, for a Jonathan in your life. And there's many reasons for discouragement, but we're ending it here for the sake of time. But as we prepare to break bread, before we even come to bring the elements into our hands, just talk to Jesus. Just talk to him. He's your friend express your discouragement to him. He's aware of it. You don't have to hide it from him. Sometimes we're embarrassed of these things that we feel in our hearts. Just come to the Lord and express yourself to him. And let him give you the strength so that you won't stumble in discouragement. Can we do that for the next few moments? If we can have somebody on the keys just play so that we can meditate. And then we'll break bread in a moment.